not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power weakness had on me. everyone and welcome to the Bubble Hour where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog Unpickled. I've been telling my story there of life after alcohol since my very first day of sobriety almost exactly eight years ago in 2011. I tell my story there and I invite you to share your stories here. And on the line today, all the way from Ireland, is a gentleman by the name of Patrick, who I uh, met up with over Instagram. His Instagram handle is Patchwork Recovery, and of course, since that's a hashtag that a lot of us are following these days as we learn about all the different ways that people are su- supporting their life uh, in, in alcohol-free and recovery living uh, it was a, a definite fit to have Pat join us and talk about his experience over the last year of sobriety on the Bubble Hour. And I just noticed as I looked at my calendar, of course, we're into March already, so how fitting that we should celebrate St. Patrick's Day with a guest from Ireland. Pat, hello, and welcome to the Bubble Hour. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Well, let's get to know you a little bit. Tell us about your story. And first of all, congratulations on uh, your first soberversary. I hope you will celebrate. But let's hear your story and, and let's, uh, let's get to know you, Pat. Um, well, my name is Pat and um, I'm from Ireland and I'm in my early 40s. So I'm not going to give you an exact year. Um, um, I'm married with three children, three young children, and I have a full-time job, uh, quite a stressful job, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much me. Um, I'm coming up to a year sober tomorrow, actually, is the day, so uh, I just don't know really where that year has gone. Um, and I think one of the things I really, uh, first of all, I love your show, and obviously I put it down to one of, one of the tools that I have that's really helped me achieve that year uh, sober. Um, and I I suppose I really wanted to come on the show as well for a number of reasons. One, I suppose, um, is to share what I've learned in that year. Um, it's been an amazing 12 months for me, and I know everyone says that, but when you've actually gone through a year being sober, it really is amazing. And I just think it's too important not to share the sort of the information and the things that I've learned over that year, um, and just to give sort of inspire others to say it can be done. Um, and that's it, really. Well, let's look over the last year. Talk about what it was that made you decide to quit drinking. How did you know it was time? Um, well, it's interesting you just mentioned St. Patrick's Day because I think every a lot of the podcasts and, and a lot of uh, blog posts, etc., talk about, well, my city, you know, is one of the, the biggest cities for drinking, etc. But I think Ireland, you know, is probably paralleled with UK and Scotland in terms of country that's really alcohol is really ingrained in everything that we do um you know coming up to patrick's day everyone thinks about you know drinking a lot of the times and some of the biggest exports from ireland would be you know drowning the shamrock and a certain stout product as well um so it really is 
ingrained in everything that we do. It's all around us, particularly in Ireland, it's particularly a struggle. Um, and I suppose one of the things as well is that if you're, you know, I found it hard to understand whether I actually had a drink problem or not because it's so normalized in our culture um, that it really, I know that sounds obvious now or strange now, but it, it did take a long time to discover that I did actually have a problem with alcohol. I actually, I, I can completely understand that. I I think, um, you know, here in North America, it's normalized and promoted probably mostly out of commercialism, but certainly society tells us if we're drinking, we're having fun. Um, it's, it's even more than that in your culture, though, isn't it? Like, how would you describe, like, the typical drinking culture? What role does alcohol play in the lives of the people in your country? Well, basically being from Ireland as well, like, Irish people tend to travel a lot to lots of different countries across Europe, across the States, so I've traveled quite a bit myself. And it's only when you travel abroad that you realize what it's really like in Ireland. Um, I started drinking at about 15 years of age, which is very, very young, but it wasn't kind of like, you know, a little sip of beer or something like that. It was it was proper drinking. It was like everything. I mean, even you get caught by your parents drinking at 15, it's not the end of the world. It's kind of like a rite of passage. Um, and I wouldn't say that I was unusual in starting drinking at 15. And by 17, you're pretty much an adult in terms of drinking, in terms of, okay, the legal age for drinking is 18, but you can still get into bars. There is a kind of a, almost like a rite of passage, as I said, that everyone's drinking from about 16, 17 years onwards. So, you know, um, going to different, like I was in the States as well in my early 20s and people were talking about getting into bars at 21. It was really not a thing for us because, you know, we had three or four years solid drinking. We were drinking like adults, if you know what I mean. Um, Uh And that's, and and I mean, lots of the people that I started drinking with at 15 would be quote unquote normies at this stage. They, They drink normally. So I know that's kind of maybe a bit shocking to hear that, you know, 15-year-olds drinking, but that's really kind of the culture. And I think we, we do it for everything, for weddings, funerals, everything is, you know, an occasion to drink. That's, you know, and I suppose Patrick's Day, you know, is thinking about this is that we have, at Christmas time, we do the 12 pubs at Christmas, which is a drink in each pub. There's 12 bars, and it can be even more than that. And huh. then the news craze is kind of the 17 bars for the 17th of March. So ridiculous, but it happens. So what was your perception of people who didn't drink or chose not to drink or um, people that were sober? What, like, what would you say is the cultural perception of sobriety in Ireland and, and you know, what was your personal take on that? Well, it's very, interesting. it's very interesting because people will look at you if you don't drink as being, oh, my God, they have a problem. And we kind of talk out of two sides of our mouth here in Ireland. We... We kind of talk about, oh, God, that person. Everybody in Ireland knows somebody who has a drink problem, um, first and foremost. It's somebody in our family, our neighbors, our friends. There's always somebody we know with a drink problem. But we would almost talk about them, how, ser- how terribly sad it is and how what, what a shame, etc., probably while still having a pint at the same time, which is kind of weird. And, you know, you know at parties and stuff, people almost commiserate with you when you're not drinking. Um we, I think as a society, we don't, particularly in Ireland, we don't really understand how closely linked our, you know, our drinking actually is and how sort of problematic or how normalized it's actually become. 
that being said, things are starting to change, I think, slowly um, in terms of people being healthier. And I think the younger generation are healthier. They're not drinking as much, to be honest. Mm-hmm. What, what, where do you think that comes from? Why do you think that is? Are they smarter than us? <laughs> I don't think they're smarter because I, I just think it's, they're, it's probably just there's more of a health focus coming in. Uh, gyms and things like that people are becoming fitter um it's kind of it's just a different interest really i think slightly more into into looking good and keeping fit than actually drinking and i think a lot of the younger generation are realizing you know that drinking and really looking well doesn't really go together you know so there's i wouldn't say it's def it's not changed hugely but they're definitely not drinking as much as we did but it's still still very prevalent that's interesting well, tell me about yeah. your last day and your decision to quit. What what made you what made you decide that this change needed to happen in your life? Was it a sort of a slow awakening, or did it hit you all at once? Well, I, no, it was a kind of a slow thing. I, I suppose I, I kind of say that I got sober overnight a year ago, but it was about three or four years of falling to actually getting to that point. And I think a couple of things for me um, that I've kind of learned is that, look. This, the problem problem drinking uh, can happen at any age, to be honest with you. There's no, a lot of young people think, well, it couldn't be me, I'm too young to have a problem. Or older people, and I think people are suffering from a lot more now as well, is they think, well, I can't have an alcohol problem because, sure, I'm 50 or I'm 60. I, you know, I would have had it by now. But I kind of, over the year, I've real, over well, over the last couple of years, I've realized that I think if the conditions are right, anyone can develop a problem with alcohol and I really that's something that I've really learned um is that you know alcohol an alcohol problem can develop at any age um as I said to you just when the circumstances are right and I suppose that's really what happened with me my, my father obviously well, well not obviously but my father um had a drinking problem um and but I don't put my own problems down to his drinking or to genes. I, I think that's probably genetics is probably a very small part, small role to play. That's my personal opinion. I don't have any medical background to back that up. But I suppose I kind of drank normally from an Irish point of view, um, probably into my mid twenties, mid to late twenties, and then things started to change. Um, uh, it's taken me a long time to sort of trace back to where things did change, but I know they actually definitely did. And I think for me, the huge thing, uh, and I think you talk about this a lot, is, is people-pleasing um, and exhaustion and stress were the three kind of triggers for me that really sort of pushed me towards, you know, uh, the downward spiral of actually drinking. Um what happened to me was, I suppose, I, I finished college. I spent four or five years in college. I got a proper job. I became a bit of an adult. I, you know, bought a house, did all the normal things. And what actually happened was, as I moved towards, you know, party that party lifestyle, more towards ad, adult-type life, uh, I started to drink more at home, sort of. And it wasn't beer. It was more wine. Um, and that was kind of, you know... After a stressful week in work, we'd crack open a bottle of wine, um, or possibly even during the week, it was a particularly tough day, we'd crack open a bottle of wine. And I think also what happened around the same time is the price of alcohol in Ireland fell sort of rapidly. Um, alcohol was really cheap to buy, 
Um, just to give you sort of an example, a, a bottle of beer in a, in a bar might cost maybe $5, the equivalent of €5, Euros, whereas you could buy a bottle of, uh, for about a euro in a shop. So really, really cheap. So there really wasn't much thought in having a bottle of wine or a case of beer. There really wasn't much to it. But I suppose what happened to me was I got married in my late 20s um not to sound like not to sound like America's got talent sad story or anything like that a lot of things started to happen in my life um a lot of stress gradual not necessarily you know overnight um i suppose we got married we bought the house and we, we planned to have children and then we were told that we couldn't have children um which was really quite a stressful time and then we went through the whole process of IVF which at the time we got through but I just felt that it, it just took a lot out of us it took a hell of a lot out of us and we probably started drinking you know myself and my wife were drinking a bit more than normal um, and then that passed and we were very very lucky and we were blessed that we actually happened, uh, managed to have a baby girl uh, which was amazing and but I think sorry this is a long story but it all kind of ties in what happened was my wife was quite tired when she was pregnant, um, really, really tired and exhausted. Um, and what used to happen on a Friday evening is we used to drink a bottle of wine and half a bottle of wine each. Um, but then I, she started falling asleep quite early and I sort of drank my half bottle of wine and the rest of it. And then it was 9, 9 p.m. and I went, hmm, might drink a bit more. So throughout that period, my drinking started to go up uh, quite rapidly, to be honest with you. Um, fast forward a year or two, we had another child, and then it was just kind of, I was drinking a hell of a lot more, purely from exhaustion. Um, and I know there's a lot of this uh, mommy and wine, um, but realistically, it was daddy and wine in this scenario um, for me. Um, and that that was really kind of, that's when things started to change. Um at the same time, my father actually got ill and I became, I was people pleasing. I was trying to do everything for everyone and I just really burnt myself out. The drinking got more and more and more um, and I kind of just drank to sort of um, de-stress and even when I was exhausted, I used to drink, which today just seems like the worst idea in the world. But at the time it was like, well, I need a bit of a break, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to drink. And sure, I wasn't sleeping anyway, so I might as well drink and not sleep and as opposed to not sleep. So I really got into a bad habit, and that bad habit then became a dependence. And that's really when things went downhill rapidly. It, it, it's interesting how you paint that sort of gentle spiral into addiction because I feel like so many of us can relate to that of just the demands of normal life. Like everyone has different things happen to them, but they're difficult and, um, and we're tired and we're working hard. <laughs> yeah. And um, when we, when we sort of choose the wrong thing as our comfort and our recreation and our self care um, or as a substitute for those things, then as you say, it just becomes normalized and habitualized. And as you were speaking there about about those years of your life, I wrote down hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Have you heard that acronym HALT before? Absolutely, yeah. And, and it's so true. And, like, I think the one that really gets me is tired um, in the sense that 
still at the weekends when I'm particularly tired, that's when I, I get a slight trigger for it. Um, it's very, very slight now, but I still feel it. And I know not that I'm tired and I need to sleep as opposed to, you know, possibly have a drink. Um, and I think that's definitely, it's a huge thing. And, and I was not aware of that. And I suppose what happened was I only, you know, part of, of modern life is that, you know, oh, look, we all have things to do, but we all have stresses, just get on with it. But realistically, it has a huge impact on us. And that's kind of the people-pleasing. I just kept going and kept going until I kind of burnt myself out. Um, and what actually happened, it was interesting, is obviously, you know, my relationship suffered because of that. And I was, people ended up starting calling me selfish for drinking, which is probably the most hurtful thing that you can say to a people-pleaser. I was like... I was absolutely burnt out from trying to help everyone. And then suddenly I was the one who was being selfish, which it kind of blew me away. And it kind of, to be honest, it was probably the best thing as well because it was an awakening because I started to realize, what, why was I drinking? And I think one of the things I said over the last year, I realized is that I used to wake up a lot of the time going, why do I do this to myself? And I never really answered that question i just said it i said why but i never asked like asked the question of myself why am i doing this and it was only when realistically things got really bad um and that i kind of got burnt out and i was drinking out of control and you know everything was falling apart around me started to ask the question of why and i realized you know it wasn't me being selfish it was me being selfless um trying to do everything for everybody and no one was happy and more importantly I wasn't happy and I just realized that things actually had to change and you know it was just uh, interestingly enough we had snow in around this time last year which probably isn't a big deal for you but in Ireland we probably get decent snow every 10 years and you talked about culture we talked a little bit about culture at the start of the talk we during that time, social media was unbelievable. Everybody was posting pictures of drinking beer and drinking wine because we were off work for a couple of days and crazy stuff. People were building little makeshift bars in their garden out of ice and snow and bringing the neighbors around for drinks. It was crazy, right? And that was my last time drinking. I actually sort of drank and ended up waking up in the spare room the next day kind of wondering what the hell happened. And that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for me. I just had enough. I had actually had enough. I was tired of it. I didn't, the next day, I didn't make any sort of big song and dance about it. I just decided I've had enough and I wanted to do something for me. And I think that's the big thing is I had been to doctors. I had been to counsellors and they, they'd all told me I needed to stop drinking. And I was like, yeah, I know that. Um, it didn't really help. I had to realize it and really realize it for myself that I needed to stop. And that was just, that was the day that, it, that it, it just dawned on me. And I mean, it did happen overnight, but that was based on about two or three years of pure hell before I actually reached that point. And it was just, and you know, a lot of the times I read stuff and I hear it like, if people aren't ready to stop, they just aren't ready to stop. And I think there does come a point where you, you just had enough you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back, you just had enough and it's time to, to, to change for yourself. And I, I did it for me, not for anyone else. And to be honest, I always say that my, my significant other doesn't understand me. And it's kind of jokingly, but I, that's why I think the bubble air and, and resources like this are amazing because it's, it's impossible to understand what it's like un, unless you are actually gone, have gone through it. 
And, you know, there's nothing you can say to somebody who's drinking that makes, you know, to give out to somebody who's drinking doesn't make sense. They are, they feel the worst out of anyone. And I remember I was not enjoying it. And almost the idea of being selfish and almost getting some pleasure out of it all was kind of alien to me because I wasn't enjoying it. And I needed to give it up for me, not for anyone else. But it really took for me to realize that before anything started to change. You know, I, I like how you explain that because two things come to mind as you say that. First of all, it's like we speak different languages, not different languages, but from different perspectives. So our spouses don't understand us and we don't understand them. They might say, we'll just have one and stop or we'll just drink on the weekends. And, you know, that's as as foreign to someone who's physically addicted to something as the idea of us saying, I can't. <laughs> I can't do that. And also, it's not fun. Um, I wish I... I wish uh, that people could really understand this. My, my community is going through quite a significant problem with um, uh, opioid abuse and, and needles being left around the city, yeah. and people are really angry at these people and not understanding that they're sick and they are not having yeah. fun. You know, They're not partying in the park. They are using no. to feel normal. But, but Because addiction, really, by definition, is that it's not fun anymore. You're, you're trying to just feel normal because basically exactly. if you you don't feel right if you're not putting alcohol into your body. And so even though, you know, depending on what stage you're at, you know, for some people that needs to be first thing in the morning. For some people it needs to be in the middle of the night and first thing in the morning. And some people, yeah. the stage I was at was I was okay in the morning. It was, you know, after work that I had to have it, and I could not break that cycle. And it was when it started creeping earlier in the day that I realized, this is withdrawal. I'm in withdrawal. Exactly. And, um, and that's, you know, that was sort of my red light moment. Um, it sounds like you don't want to go into war stories and talk a lot about what it was like for you. But tell me one thing, um, uh, you know, there's, a, there's an idea of that we sort of give ourselves these these hard lines of like, okay, I won't, you know, I won't drink alone. And then, well, we drink alone because that makes the most sense, actually. Or, yeah. um, you know, I, if I wet the bed, then I'll quit. And then, you know, sometimes that's a yeah. part of, that becomes a regular part of people's lives. Or if I block out. Or, so what were some of the things, you know, did the bar lower for you? Were you giving yourself lines that you wouldn't cross and then crossing them? Or what did that, what did that descent look like for you? Well, I suppose a couple of things. I, I don't like giving more stories. Not that I, I, I don't mind. Like I, tell, I could tell them all. But I think sometimes it doesn't help people to think that you need to hit a certain rock bottom to do something about it. I mean, right. I see a lot of people going, what does, alcohol, what does an alcohol problem look like? It does, do you have to be drinking spirits? Do you have to be drinking hard liquor? Do you have to be drinking in the morning? It, it, uh, the best thing, I spent a lot of time wondering whether I had an alcohol problem or not, which is wasted time. I should have just done something about it. A problem... Alcohol is a problem if it's a problem for you, and that's the basic thing. There's no real definition, and and I think you know if it's causing you problems, then it's a problem. I mean, for me, yeah, it got progressive. I mean, no one ever, as I said, no one ever sets out to start drinking first thing in the morning, but I did that. Um, I did that because I well, a couple of things is obviously having two small children. Like <laughs> I'll give you an interesting story. In Ireland, you can't buy alcohol till 10.30 in the morning. Um, I went to a local uh, supermarket when my 
two dollars were very very small what they weren't with me but the point was i went to buy the alcohol and when i went to pay for it they told me it was too early i was like what it's like it's 25 after 10 and i was like yeah, well, it might be the morning for you, but I've been up all night with children, so <laughs> it actually was the middle of my day. And what was mad about it was I had, I said, like, okay, do you think I had shame? Do you think I stopped? I was like, she says, well, you can wait five minutes. I went, yeah, I actually will. And I actually did, which was kind of crazy. So that kind of, for me, like, yeah, you, no one ever starts off thinking they're going to drink in the morning, but it's slowly, it ends up being, say, withdrawals, it ends up being maybe having a really late night at 5 a.m. and getting up at 10 a.m. and having a drink, the, as we call it, the hair of the dog, which is quite popular. Um, and that, you know, no one ever starts out that way, but definitely you start crossing all sorts of lines, you know. And I think... You know, one of the things is saying it's a bit like, you know, when you're driving a car and then suddenly you hand the keys over to someone else and they take the driving seat control. And that's what happens with alcohol. It starts to take control. You're not in control. Okay, I did take the first drink, but after that, it starts, it controls me. Um, And I, I think, yeah, certainly every kind of line. And I think moderation, look, no one will ever say that you can't moderate, but who wants to moderate? It's just really, really difficult. I just find it so much easier not drinking now than having to put all these rules in places. I'll only drink on the weekends. I'll only drink this, that, and the other. Because there's always an exception. But if you just cut it out completely, then there's no room for an exception. And that's that's what's really kind of helped me. And a lot of people do talk about moderation. And it's like, my God, it's like a scientific equation. It's like, how do you follow all this, you know? And but there'll always be a Christmas or there'll always be a Valentine's or there'll always be some excuse to, to break from the norm or break from your routine. And look, if you can mod- if you can moderate, great, but it's just really, really difficult. Why would you want to, I suppose? I totally agree with you on that. And I feel like whatever energy you're putting towards trying to think about when to drink, how to drink, like for me, that would be an obsession. It was an obsession. And yes. quitting drinking was really the freedom from that obsession was just so... Good. I didn't. I did not realize the weight of it until I set it down, and no. then the, all that energy can go towards healing. What was behind the drinking, and why are you a people pleaser? Why do you feel like you know? Why? Wh- where did we get that message that we need to we need to make people like us by doing things for them, or we need to keep the peace? Like, where did we learn that all the weight of the world was on? our shoulders and how can we back that up a little bit and and feel safe in this world without controlling how everyone else experiences it and you can't do that if you're busy thinking about when your next drink might possibly be or who's going to find out or all the other myriad of problems that come with trying to moderate um yeah but what was interesting as well was sorry what was interesting was that like i was you know very clever in my drinking it's just just the amount of effort that i put into managing to get extra drinks hide it you know the huge kind of like sometimes i look back and go my god that was a master plan in terms of hiding it buying it getting an extra round in all the little clever little things that i did to get drink in or whatever hide it whatever it had to be you know it was absolutely when i think about it sometimes i think it was ingenious um but sometimes you know now i kind of use that the other way i use that to 
kind of when I'm out at a social event and I don't want to drink and I'm not making a big song and dance about it, I use those tactics, you know, that cleverness to, to get around it. And it's amazing what you can get away with. I got through a whole Christmas party, an office Christmas party, which is a really boozy affair, without drinking and people never noticed. And so I was kind of delighted with myself in the sense of being able to flip that around and use that sort of, you know, the, the cunningness of, you know, of it all um, to actually to help my sobriety. And I think that's a huge thing. And I've mentioned to other people and they're like, oh, my God, yeah. You know, because everyone was very, very sly in what they did, you know. Do you fear people finding out that you don't drink? Is that something that would be socially unacceptable? Um, in, no. Um, interestingly enough, I didn't make a big song and dance about it. Um I suppose for a number of reasons, um, my wife really wanted me to tell all my friends and make a big statement. And I think at the start of my journey a year ago, I just really wasn't ready for that. I had enough to be dealing with in my own head without making the problem bigger. Now, it will, you know, a lot of my friends do know that I don't drink, but I haven't got into it with a lot of them. Um, um, but also I think that if you're a month sober and you're, you know, shouting from the rooftops that you're sober... That can be bring on an awful lot of pressure and stress. A, a if you fall, fail, number one, which can happen, and it's not the end of the world, but it can really set people back if they've posted it up and really said, oh, I'm doing this, I'm done forever, and then they, they have a slip. As I said, it's not the end of the world, but it can really set people back. But the other thing is, if you're a month sober, people can say, ah, oh, you're not, you know, is this another one of your fad diets or one of these crazy ideas? Um, but if you're a year sober, people will kind of go, oh, okay. Um, obviously, you're serious about it. So I think it's much easier now, a year down the line, going, oh, she gave that up a year ago. And they go, really? And you never noticed. And I think it'll be much easier going forward. And I'm happy. Like, everyone has to do their own thing. But for me, I didn't need the extra pressure of feeling a bit awkward in social situations without drinking, without having to explain it as well and... You know, sometimes it's not a big deal. And I think, you know, I could have made it into a big deal. As I said to you, Christmas parties, things like that. There's a lot of people now that I've met in the last while that have never seen me drink, which is kind of interesting as well, because there's a lot of people who knew me from drinking, but people have kind of gone, I've never seen you drunk. And went, there you go. And <laughs> it's not a big deal, you know. It's interesting. So where did you get your support then? How did you how did you quit? Let's talk about what tools you used and how you did it and, and where you found support. Well, what's interesting as well, and I kind of set up the Instagram handle as Patrick Recovery because I think in some ways we're all uh, unique and in some ways we're not unique at all. We're not unique at all in the sense that, you know, if you talk to people in recovery, we've all been, there's so many people with such similar stories to us that doesn't matter what we've done, someone has done 10 times worse or 10 times bigger. But we all, you know, we, and we all understand each other. We all understand what it's actually like to go through this. But we are unique as well in the sense that one solution doesn't actually fit all. Um, in Ireland, and I suppose, like, for, and, and I said earlier on, my wife doesn't understand me, but I equally appreciate that. How could she? And I don't expect her mm -hmm. to understand it. So right. it's kind of an appreciation of both. She doesn't understand what I've gone through, but equally I understand she hasn't gone through it, so how could she? Um, but I think the normal thing is, especially in Ireland, is that, right, you need to go to the doctor and you need to go to AA. They're the two things that you need to do. For me personally, AA didn't, it wasn't for me. And it wasn't for me purely because I, you know, I'm the sort of person who didn't feel powerless. I, 
I, you know, if there's a problem, I find a solution. So for me, that was, a, you know, that, that was difficult for me. However, for, I did gain a lot from AA. I did go to a number of meetings and just sense of community, seeing people like me um, and, and hearing people's stories and really, you know, humanizing it and going, thank God I'm not unique. I'm not the only one in the world. Um, that was really, really beneficial for me. Suppose what happened for me was that I, you know, I did counselling as well, and initially that didn't work hugely. But I think the thing with counselling is it takes time. Um, it was more like over time I started to reflect on things. I started when I stopped drinking, you know, I got a lot of clarity and I could see things. Um, the things like being called selfish um, really helped me kind of go actually, I'm not selfish, I'm selfless. And it's gotten me nowhere. In fact, it's gotten a lot of, that I put huge amount of pressure on me. I took time for me, um, which I'd never really done before. And I just, I really learned a lot about myself. So I think uncovering the reasons behind, the why, I think I mentioned earlier on, it's like, I never asked myself why I drank. But when I actually did start asking myself why I drank, I realized I was just burnt out. I was you know, trying to please everyone, trying to do everything, trying to make sure everything was perfect, and it wasn't. And now I just slow down a bit, and I really, like you mentioned, halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I was tired a lot of the time. I didn't take the time to even sleep properly, and the difference that made was unbelievable. Um, so it was small little changes, and really realizing what was driving my, my drinking really, really changed. And I looked at my thinking around alcohol, and I suppose one of the big things that I learned was I learned a lot about alcohol. Okay, we all know, you know, drinking equals hangover equals not feeling great. But I, there was so much I didn't understand about it, the anxiety that it causes, the, the things that happen in your brain, that it's, that it's an alcohol, that it's a poison, that it's addictive, that all these various different things. I just I educated myself a lot about alcohol. And that, uh, once I knew why I was drinking and what it was doing to me, I could, I could notice signs and then things really started to change for me. I mean, even things like triggers, like why was Friday evening? I never, won I never knew why Friday evening was such a, a trigger point for me. But then I realized, you know, it was the end of the week. I was tired. I was stressed. I was all of those things. And once I realized there was different ways to deal with that, it made a huge, huge difference to me. Um, I spent a lot of time online. I spent a lot of time listening to podcasts, just listening to people's stories. I think one of the things for me, I have a very busy lifestyle and just trying to fit in meetings and hour meetings was very, very difficult. Plus, I, I used to beat myself up if I missed a meeting. So from listening to podcasts when I'm commuting, things like that were kind of my equivalent of a meeting in the sense I got the stories, I got the boost every day. I was checking in in terms of listening to stories and also I, that was my sense of community was this podcast, you know, reading a lot of the stories online and just, you know, learning, just really educating myself about alcohol made a huge, huge difference. And, you know, I read a lot of stories and I hear a lot of people and I meet a lot of people and they're all sort of people that just really have no idea what alcohol is, is doing to them, um, both mentally and physically. And, you know, asking yourself why you drink can make a massive difference. Let's talk about the relationships with your with your wife and your kids. What how has life in your household changed with this enormous burden taken off of you? Um 
it's almost a lot of little things rather than anything big. Um, I suppose when I stopped drinking, I said, look, that's me done. And it was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, because we'd been here before. And yeah, I've heard that a million times. But I, I suppose for me, I said, you know, I'm not going to say it anymore. I'm just going to show you what I mean. And, and you know, trust was broken, obviously. Trust was a huge thing, but it slowly started to, to, to come back. The big thing for me was energy, um, you know, waking up, um, waking up full of energy, getting, th- getting small little things done uh, made a huge difference. And just, you know, being tired and being hung over with, with small children is just hell on earth. It really is. But now I kind of get up and I'm much healthier. I feel better. I'm just in a better mood. I think my mood is much, much better. Um, but also... I kind of stand up. My confidence came back and, you know, I stand up for myself a lot more. I suppose in my relationship as well, when I was drinking, I could never win an argument because my wife always held the trump card with butcher drinking, you know, or, you know, it didn't matter if I wasn't drinking. It still came up as the trump card in every argument. So I lost. So by not drinking, I've taken control back in the sense of I can actually hold my own in terms of, you know, putting my point across um, and, and I could only do that when I was sober um, when I was drinking nothing I said or argued never held any weight that was a massive massive change in terms of that the other thing is that you know I, I, I posted there recently that I got angry with someone in work and I was really happy with myself and they suggested I need anger management <laughs> and I think they missed the point the point was for me I was delighted is that my emotions were coming back and that rather than hold that in and feeling down and you know holding that being passive aggressive I just let it out and moved on the person I got angry with deserved it at the end of the day but I was really happy with myself in the sense that you know I had stood up for myself and that really built my confidence back up uh, and even things around the house, like I, I'm not the one. I don't do everything anymore for every, everyone. Everything for everyone, they have to look after themselves as well. And you know, and funny enough, when I did that, I thought there'd be a massive backlash, and there really wasn't. People went, "Oh yeah, you're right." And that was shocking for me. And I know if you're not a people pleaser, you don't understand that. But it was massive. It's like, no, I can't do that. Or saying no, no, I can't do that. It's just like, okay. I'll find some, and you know, funnily enough, people will always get that done themselves anyway. They'll just find another way to do it, and 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 that was just a huge eye opener for me. And I was like, wow, uh, and I just feel a lot better from that point of view. So my relationships are a lot better. I spend more quality time with my children anyway. Um, my relationship with my wife is much better as well. You know, um, just communication and everything just really, really improved. And I think the trust thing as well, like. Recently, we went to a party and I had to buy uh, a bottle of champagne for someone and my wife sent me over to, to buy it. And, you know, that wasn't an issue, whereas historically that would have been a massive issue, um, which I think is amazing, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is nice to be able to... F- when you're when you are being honest with yourself, you can actually say, do I want to do this, yes or no? Am I comfortable doing this, yes or no? Rather than doing everything everyone asks of you, sometimes things they haven't asked of you, but you're trying to anticipate their wants, and you end up full of resentments, which is a, a huge source of fuel for addiction. And um, I can just see, I, like, I can see the circularity of everything you're talking about. It's something I've really become aware of in my own life, too, of just actually pausing to think of what do I want. And it's safe to say that, and it's safe to self-advocate 
And, you know, in terms of people-pleasing, and I'm going to go out on a limb, Pat, and say that a vast majority of Bubble Hour listeners can identify with people-pleasing. I think it's almost a precursor to addiction for a lot of us. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of a hallmark of codependency, which is, is like a maladaptive way of trying to feel safe, and it just sets up for addiction because it's all about comfort and creating false discomfort or trying to comfort inappropriately. And that's ultimately what we're doing when we're drinking. But it, I, I learned two things early on um, that were hugely eye-opening to me. And one was that that people-pleasing is really being manipulative. You know, we're trying to manipulate how other people feel and how they feel towards us. And it's not so much about it's not so much about doing things for them. It's about the payout we get in terms of gratitude and being needed and feeling safe and all kinds of ways that, that there's a payout for being a people pleaser. And when I heard that, my jaw hit the floor because I was like, oh, I'm not manipulative. I'm, I'm good. But, you know, I really, if I was really honest about it, I, I could see how that was true and I thought I was being considerate, but really I was being selfish in a selfless way. And being able to really honestly just sit with that and think about it and explore it without beating myself up or feeling bad or feeling guilty, I couldn't have done that when I was drinking. I could not have. I really needed the brain space and the, the pause to be able to look at something so core in my life and see it in that light. And, you know, that to me was one of the biggest gifts of sobriety because it changed my life radically. And the other thing I learned, and this was from the book uh, Codependent No More by Melody Beattie, was that often when we think we're people-pleasing, we're doing things for other people that they don't necessarily want, things they haven't asked for. We're anticipating their needs and meeting them before they've even asked for it. And that can be really annoying. <laughs> and, um, and and it is, you know, it's, it is, you talked about, you know, the term selfish being such a smack in the face and, and wrong, you know, when it's applied to drinking. But whoever looks at somebody who's just almost a martyr in doing things for other people and says, that person is actually being selfish because they're trying to control their world and protect themselves and feel safe right now by doing things for others. I mean, it seems the least selfish thing in the world, and yet the term can apply. And anyway, those those two lessons that I learned come to mind as you talk about all the things that you've gone through and all the awarenesses you've had, because when we do start to undo the hairball of all these crazy behaviors we've learn to do from the time we're little children and that feels so normal and so right and so true. And sobriety gives us the space to start questioning, is that true? Do I need to do that? And am I happy doing that? And that is where the real magic starts to come in in terms of of getting better and changing our lives in a better way. I'm so much happier now. I'll be honest, I really am. I'm doing less and I'm, I'm actually so much happier. And you know what? Looking at everyone, no one, no one really realizes. No one's kind of complaining, which, 
it's amazing because it's kind of like you're like I expected the world to kind of end people you know I'm going to do stuff for my and no funny enough it hasn't really and and that's quite amazing you know for me that has been amazing it's a little hard to swallow in some ways that like oh I'm not that important (laughs) yeah but then (laughs) it's also a huge relief right Oh, it absolutely is. And I, I suppose I can look back and laugh at it. And I suppose sometimes, you know, people say, you know, having a drink problem is probably the best thing that ever happened to them. And, you know, you learn, I won't say I'd wish it on my, my worst enemy, but at the same time, it hasn't been all bad in the sense that I, I've learned an awful lot about myself in the last year, which I hadn't done. I hadn't sort of grown in that area or in that space personally in a lot in many many years and i just think that last year has just been unbelievable realistically you know it's only 12 months but the learnings and just the growth in that year has been amazing and i suppose you can't really say that to someone unless they've gone through it themselves you know like it doesn't matter how many posts or things you talk to people about how wonderful sobriety is unless you do it yourself there's really you just can't understand you can take my word for it take your word for it but realistically you have to experience it and i think a year is a really good time because you've gone through everything in that year 30 days is amazing um but a year is amazing you've done a christmas you've done a holiday you've done whatever it actually is you've done everything once and you know what the world hasn't ended and and that's that's the big learning for me so what are some of your survival strategies then do you take your own drinks when you go to parties or do you you know, plan to leave early. What are some of the sort of key tricks? You talked that you have, you know, some, you're able to be quite cunning about about getting through social situations. So what, what are some of your tricks? Yeah, well, I suppose the, the, the big thing is, um, I say, for example, there's a big party or something like that. What I tend to do is kind of either arrive in early or arrive in a little bit late. Because if you arrive in early, you can sort your own drink out. So you have some a drink in your hand to begin with. Or, you know, if you arrive late, probably missed a round or whatever. So you just go, oh, I'll sort myself out. I know re- uh, recently I got a glass of wine at a Christmas party and I just left it in front of me. And it was amazing how people didn't realize that I'd ever touched it. I picked it up, I put it down, I held it, I chatted to people, and they didn't realize Um and I think well, you know, when you go out I, I have to room, tell you, Patrick, I couldn't do that. I like could you not? That would yeah. I'd be playing with a, a. I would feel like I was playing with fire, but a prop, basically, right? I mean, it could be a, a glass prop. Of well, juice, like, but like, no, it no, doesn't no. Have, I suppose the other thing that I did was I got a beer. I got a bottle of beer, and what I did is I left it down and I swapped it for non-alcoholic, and no one realized I was holding it. No one realized. I think look, the prop is definitely important, or. I suppose the big thing as well, and I noticed when I went out, was that I engage more with people anyway. I socially, I don't need drink to be social. I'm quite an outgoing person, you might have guessed. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm quite, you know I, I actually spend more time really chatting to people now. I felt that years ago, I could miss a night, like, because you'd black out halfway through the night, and you kind of go, that was a great night, but I don't remember half it. Or I'd spend half my night, at a, at a, you know, chatting, really having a great chat with someone and then kind of having to leave because I run out of drinks, so I have to go to the bar, go to the bathroom, go to the bar, go to the bathroom. And the whole night's gone from this back and forth, back and forth. Now I tend to kind of spend my time, my quality time, I'll chat to someone I really want to chat to, have that conversation. And I used to stay out till maybe three, four in the morning and 
realistically the night is over by 11 because people are either drunk or you know the really the night is starting to go downhill rapidly at that stage and a lot of times people i never say goodbye i just leave and, and you know what most people won't realize you've gone like you make this big song and dance about leaving and you could be there for another hour you just they have this thing called an irish goodbye where you just get your coat and leave and most of the time what time do you leave i think i, I think just, just before you people don't know um <laughs> so just having a plan and you know what one thing is i like I think if you have something that's really stressing you out and you don't want to go, just don't go. Um, even Amen. in the first spark, you know, <laughs> don't have to. No is an answer. Um, and sometimes, you know, as it's saying no to others is saying yes to yourself. And if it is, really is, sometimes people be stressing about stuff going, just don't go. If you don't feel like going, don't go. And, you know, especially in the first couple of months of sobriety, you know, it takes a bit of time to, to build up the, you know, experience to, to be able to handle these situations. But, I wouldn't put myself, like, for example, I wouldn't go to a bachelor party now. I wouldn't, I just wouldn't. Um, it's just too much. And quite happily go, no, I'm not going. Thanks a million. I'll do something else, you know. Um, but driving as well can be really handy in terms of, you know, if you drive to then go, do you know what? I'm driving. That really kills it, to be honest, a lot of the time. And then if they say, oh, great, you're driving. Can you drive us all home? Yeah. Oh, no, I can't. I have to pick up my child from a sleepover. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or no, some other I excuse. I have a small car with me. I've only got one seat. Or <laughs> God knows what. Um, <laughs> I'm on a unicycle. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but I think a lot of the times, you know, we worry about things that we really shouldn't worry about. Like, you know, I think you, you can read. Like, I remember worrying about my Christmas party in October. And then it ended up being cancelled. And I was like, I spent three months worrying about this. And it got cancelled. I was like, what the hell? And, you know, I just really, you know, one day at a time, I do think that's a great mantra because we 90% of the things we worry about never actually happen. And we can build these things up. Um, I know people are worried about summer and all sorts of things right now. Whereas, look, we don't need to worry about that. Just need to worry about today. And tomorrow is a completely different. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And, you know, and I think, you know, uh, the sobriety journey as well, you get stronger in your sobriety as you go along. And, you know, things that I wouldn't necessarily been able to handle a year ago, I'm confident that I can handle now, you know. And I think that's a huge thing. I mean, and as I said, mentioning holding the glass of wine, that's not for everyone, but that's Patrick's about is not, you know, some people it's fine, other people it's not. But it's just finding what works for you, but, but learning what works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think giving up the putting pressure on yourself to do everything exactly the same except without alcohol, like I think that's what a lot of us think we need to do so that nobody knows that we had a problem. So no one else needs to change, just me. I'm going to do all the exact same things, but I'm not going to have alcohol in my glass. And that's where, you know, I love what you said about, no, really, you don't have to go and you don't have to be, you know, the center of attention or the perfect guest or X, Y, Z. Like, you don't have to do everything the same. Um, nobody probably noticed how we were doing things in the past anyway. And, um, yeah, just take all that pressure off yourself and find a new way. There's a million ways to do things, and there, there's no need to be right or the same. It's okay to change. Probably no one's going to notice, except you. You'll notice a lot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, huge changes. Yeah. Definitely. If you if you could, um, well, I was going to ask you if you could change the culture in Ireland, you know, around this. What would you do? But I I feel like you're not a magic wand kind of guy. I feel like you're sitting back and watching things shift and just observing. Is that how you 
Is that how you see yourself, or do you would you like to be an advocate and an agent of change? Well, I'd like. In your I'll be honest with you. I think you know, it's. I see it quite a lot, right? Where you know, if you're in, a, say, you're in a meeting or something, and somebody's talking about somebody, and 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 everyone, no one, no one has any idea what they're talking about, but everyone's afraid to put their hand up and go, "Excuse me, what are you talking about?" It's only when you come out and go, "Do you understand what you're saying?" No, I had no clue either. And like, you'll have 20 people, none of them had a clue, but none of them were brave enough to stick up their hand. I feel that's a little bit like drinking at the moment. There's a lot of people. I I genuinely don't think there's a lot of people drinking out there that I genuinely don't feel. If if they didn't have to drink, they probably wouldn't. Um, I think it's just, but sure, everyone's doing it, so I need to. And I think the more people that come out and go, it's, you know, I'm not drinking because I know there's certain people, you know, will have that conversation with me because you're not drinking. Oh yeah, Do you know, I've had enough recently myself. And I think the more people that that sort of put their hand up and say, well, I'm actually not drinking, and it's actually okay not to drink. I think that's where the movement really, really starts, and people will start to change a little bit in terms of their drinking habits but i you know it, it is very much ingrained i mean um annie grace was on irish radio recently talking about some uh, she gave an interview and it was one of those magazine type um shows on a, one of the major stations here and she she explained how the, the you know the, the problems of alcohol etc it was a really really good interview but there was a couple of guests that came on afterwards and it was you know and they kind of said um God, I don't know, but that Annie Grace interview has really made me want to have a drink. I'm dying for a drink. And it became a joke. And it really upset me in the sense of, look, this is a really serious topic. And it's, as I said to you, it's, that's the culture that we live in is that, you know, people ought to know, but that Annie Grace has really made me want to have a drink. I know she's talking about being poisoned, but I'd love a drink now. I'm like, that's completely negates everything that the interview was actually about. So there's a long way to go in culture. And we keep talking about, oh, drink is a bad thing, but... I think there's a long way in Ireland to go, but I think it's, it is changing. There's a lot of really good people out there advocating uh, to try and change things. Yeah. And I know um, the lady Breed had been on with you guys uh, Breed, you know, yeah. earlier in the year. Yeah, and she like People like her are making huge changes and really kind of changing the topic of conversation. And, and I think if you're a person that feels that alcohol is a problem, then you know, these, these sort of, these podcasts and things really reach people and kind of going, yeah, I can do that as well. And, you know, you don't, you just, you don't have to change the world, just change person by person. And that's really the way it goes, you know? There's an American writer by the name of Anne Lamott who says, you know, a lighthouse doesn't run all over the island looking for ships to save. They just, they just stand still and shine their light. And and that's how the job gets done. And I, I, that's how I think about telling stories on this show is that, you know, we just keep shining the light and, and letting people hear the stories and hear themselves in it and trust that the people that need it are going to find it. And and by doing that, we are changing the world. I mean, just this conversation we're having right now, just bit by bit, um, we're changing lives because our listeners, you know, use this to empower themselves and then go out and do great things in their own life. And it just... You know, it, it it just keeps going in a ripple effect that amazes me. And um, but sometimes, you know, we want to do grand gestures, and um, it feels like we should do grand gestures, but but uh, the small things add up for sure. I think so. I don't think I don't think you know, uh, standing up and preaching and telling people, you just kind of go, don't want to listen to you. Whereas I kind of the way I I. 
I, I see kind of my recovery bit like, uh, you know, those big climbing walls that they have. It's just like it's a huge wall. I don't know where to start, but I'll start at the bottom and I'll, you know, each time I get somewhere else, I look at the next step and the next step. And that's really the way it happened for me in terms of I went online, I found a few sites and then I found a podcast and I found your podcast. And then, you know, you might mention authors or and then I start reading and you know, slowly but surely, that's how I picked it up. And that's exactly it. Like, I think people will seek you out. And I think, you know, uh, the whole thing of the internet is amazing, whereas, you know, there's a huge resource that's really there for everyone. And it is about that education piece, is that, you know, really to learn about it and, and to, to discover you're not unique. That's 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 really a huge piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's That's probably the biggest one. You're not alone and you're not unique. And you don't have to solve this alone you can really you can dig into the community that's there and take strength from other people and and you're not strange and it's not impossible <laughs> it's not impossible and, and i mean uh, you don't understand you don't understand i was like no i do because i've been there uh but it's not impossible you know and probably the the biggest uh the biggest surprise for most of us is that um there is a bit of grief in in losing our friend alcohol, but that things are not only going to be okay afterwards, they're going to be better than before. It's like we think, oh, my life is awful. This drinking is awful. Now I have to give up the drinking and it's going to be really awful. And the fact is, no, you're going to make that change and it's going to be better and then it's going to be great. And Or maybe it's going to be hard, but you're going to be stronger. You're going to be a better version of yourself. And I always find that to be really encouraging too. Well, um, I've in the last time at the moment, and and I think one of the things is people were worried that I would start drinking again. I went, "Are you serious? This is the last thing I'd want to do." I mean, my experience right. now is I certainly can't. No, absolutely don't want to be drinking in this situation. And that's what it is. It's, it's experience going. No, drinking would not make this in any way better. It would make it fifty times worse. And but it exactly. takes me a year to to realize that. Yeah, it's like as you were saying that I was I had this just this vision of like someone walking on a tightrope across the Grand Canyon, you know? Like things are really hard, really stressful, really demanding. Like are you going to stop in the middle of that and have a drink? No. Uh, keep going. <laughs> the last thing you need. <laughs> keep going. That's exactly. All right, well in the in the last minute before we go, any any final thoughts or words of encouragement to someone who's listening and struggling today or maybe thinking about getting started, what what would be your closing thoughts on this discussion? Well, I would say be kind to yourself. I mean, there's enough people out there who will beat you up over us. So I, I think be kind to yourself and, you know, educate yourself, be kind to yourself and be patient um, because... And, and, and don't be worrying about stuff that, you know, may or may not happen. But patience is really something I learned. And, you know, good things happen when you are patient. And, you know, it has taken a year, but it's been every day has kind of a little bit stronger. I've learned little bits all the way along. And, it's you know, sometimes it's quantum leaps, sometimes not a lot happens. But I think just really be patient and, and educate yourself and, and the rest will follow. Wise words. Thank you so much, Patrick. I really have enjoyed chatting with you, and uh, I very much appreciate you taking the time to tell your story today. Thank you. 
Listeners, uh, if you would like to say thank you to Patrick or share any thoughts with him, you can write them to me, thebubblehour at gmail.com, and I will make sure Patrick gets them. Also, if you are an Instagram enthusiast, check out Patchwork Recovery on Instagram and see inspiring posts from Patrick. And um, check out my blog, unpickleblog.com, and I'm on Facebook, Unpickled. And also, um, The Bubble Hour is on Facebook as well, and you can message me through Facebook if that is more your comfort level as well. So that's it for us this week. Until next time, everyone, take good care. I own it, I did that Not proud that that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free From power, weakness head on Yeah.